and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. Well, I'm very grateful that you're with us, whether you are uh, in the house or joining with us online, wherever you might be here in Yuma, in Arizona, in the U.S., or some other part of the, of the world, we're, we're so grateful that you have uh, determined that you were going to be in fellowship and community. It's, a, it's good to be uh, in God's house, and we're thankful that you have joined us. I want to just uh, remind you that it's not too late, uh, those of you that want to give hygiene kits, uh, that information, I believe, went out in a couple of different manners, but we're putting together hygiene kits that are about costs about $10 each, toothpaste, a brush, um, things of that toothbrush, etc., that we are sending to those who have, you know, suffered some things because of Hurricane Laura. There's a box out in front. You can either commit to giving. They're about $10 each, and our teams will put them together, or you can get the information at the Connect table, and they'll tell you what needs to be in them, and um, they'll even show you some examples out there, and you can bring those to us, and we'll, we're going to get those down to uh, Louisiana or Texas, uh, uh, Southeast Texas, uh, sometime this, this week. So thank you, though, those who have committed. I, I know that we're going to send at least 200 of those hygiene kits. That's 200 families that's going to be helped and blessed. So thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for doing that. I want to show you a clip here of a, of a couple in uh, Vacaville, California. We spoke to you two weeks ago, I think, about the fires in Northern California and, and our uh, uh, church, my pastor's church, Dave Patterson there in Vacaville, they, many folks in their congregation lost their homes. Uh, many of them had to evacuate. I hadn't talked to Dave since last Sunday, but as of last Sunday, his family had, was still uh, living in different places because of evacuation. Some dear families in the church completely lost everything. And I ask you to, if you would just be a blessing and give a gift that we can give to them. But I want to show you this clip here of this one couple. We love it here. We were so fortunate to live here and we knew every day it was a blessing. It was a typical evening, except the PG&E had the rolling uh, blackouts. So our power was out from 6 p.m. to, to 10.40, and then it came back on. And around uh, 11.30, my daughter got a, got a call from a friend whose dad works for the CHP. And he said, are you guys evacuating? And we said, no, we don't know anything about evacuating. This all happened so sudden. And I thought to myself, how could that fire from Hennessy, which is 25 miles away as a crow flies, how could that thing be coming this quickly over to Pleasance Valley? And the fire had jumped the road down on Pleasance Valley. Went outside and I saw the fire on the hill over there and it was just coming down the hill. I'd never seen that before. So I ran back into the house and said, we gotta go now. The next day we got a call from my brother-in-law who was crying on the phone and, and said, Joe, I got bad news. My, my friend who's a police officer went out and he took some pictures and sent them and you could clearly see the, the barn, the barn survived, but, but the house uh, gone. So it was a very sad time for the family. We got together and it was pretty darn emotional. 
One thing I will say, you know, when you can't carry yourself, God brings a lot of people alongside you to carry you, and I believe that is Jesus at work. That's the living Christ that we all talk about. That's the truth of it. And if you don't have that, I don't know how you manage things like this. I really don't. Without our friends and our sisters and brothers in Christ and our families, I think this would be insurmountable. But with that, it, we actually feel very supported and loved. And yeah, we got a lot of work to do. There, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. But it's doable with the help that we've received. And we so appreciate it. So for everybody out there who has given, thank you. We just couldn't do it without you. Father's House has that fire fund, and that's going to help a lot of families. Mm. Through this tragedy, God is always telling us to, to, to give back. You know, Jesus Christ uh, did so much for us, gave so much, so much pain for us. We will never be able to repay that. But uh, I felt that in light of this, it was our time to step up and, and give those that are, that, are, that are less fortunate and need our help. Um, and that's why we jumped in right away after this and, and participated with Adopt-A-Block and, and serving. It's all about serving. Jesus was the ultimate servant and, and we learned from that and we continue to serve and he wants us to take care of his people. So we will continue doing that. Amen. I wanted you to see that because uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago I asked you to give and uh, so we're going to be sending $2,000 to help families like this uh, that, that may need just some transitional help. So thank you for your generosity. Anytime you come in the building, uh, you can always give in one of the offering boxes. You can give, set up your giving through the app or you can give through the app. You can give by text or you can establish your giving through uh, our website, but your giving helps us do these things, whether it be the hygiene kits, whether it be helping families that have experienced some, some, uh, just some challenging things. And so it's good. I'm grateful that we're a church that believes in irrational generosity. We give beyond ourselves. We know people have needs. God blesses us and helps us. And we just know you cannot beat God giving. Amen. Cannot beat God giving. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for Pastor Norman and church in Shandiger and Pastor Rabonda in Guiani, South Africa, Pastor David in San Luis, Mexico, Pastor Jacob and Pastor Gaton in San Luis, Arizona. And uh, we're going to pray for Pastor Darren Hawkins and the church family and Sierra Vista Presbyterian here in Yuma. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, we thank you that we're able to come and we're able to gather and worship and people are gathered with us all over, Lord, through the, the stream. And we're so thankful for that and pray blessings upon them and their families, wherever they may be, however they may be engaging. May the grace of the Lord be with them. May they also encounter the reality and the presence of you as we'll do here uh, in this house. Uh, Father, I thank you for the services already taking place in Shandiger and in uh, Guiani. I pray that you bless Rabonda and Norman and continue to help them. Pray for Pastor David as they meet uh, this afternoon. Thank you for the reports of what's happening in San Luis, Arizona. Continue to empower and inspire Pastor Jacob and Gaton to do uh, the work uh, that you've called us to do there in that community. We lift up uh, Pastor Darren, the Sierra Vista Presbyterian family. Uh, may they grow. May they have influence in their part of the vineyard. 
May their church be healthy. May the pastor and his family be of good health. And Lord, we pray that for every church in this city, for growth, for increase. We want to see you do great and awesome things. Father, we also pray for our country. Pray for the president, the vice president, the congress, the governors, the senators, representatives, those that have to make decisions that affect our life, uh, the mayors of these, of, of these cities. We pray for peace in our land. Pray for peace, Jesus. We pray for Christ to be exalted and glorified, that the message that is sent out and given is the message that Jesus Christ is the answer. And I pray, Lord God, that we will embrace that and lift up the gospel. And Lord, I pray for those, if there's people, those in our community, sorry, that are still in the hospital from COVID or suffering from COVID, Lord, I pray that those numbers will decrease. Those that might be on ventilators or in ICU now, we pray for life for them in the name of Jesus. No death, we pray for life. We're thankful for the healthcare community and all their services and the first responders and the police officers, those who are doing their best to do their job to serve us. Lord, we lift them up and we thank you for the grace that you give them. We trust that you will be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. May the people of God say amen. amen. I want you to take your Bible. You're going to turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. I want to read three verses there. It's verse 50, 51, and 52. Genesis 41, verses 50, 51, and 52. And since you've been gracious enough and kind enough and godly enough and Christian enough to bring your Bible, I want you to stand with it. We're going to read together. Well, I'm going to read. You're going to read along with me. And then we're going to go right on into the Word. You all right? I'm ready. Genesis 41, 50 through 52. Here it is. Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived. Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest at On, bore them to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. The second son he named Ephraim and said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We're, we are in week three of this series we're doing on below the, sur uh, yeah, below the surface. We're, it will wrap up with, with six weeks of uh, preaching from the pulpit. And the idea of the service, of course, is our emotional health and how we're doing. The big idea is that our, our journey for spiritual maturity includes identifying our emotional condition. It includes that and becoming emotionally healthy. Uh, we started out, and you'll see it now, with a picture of an iceberg that just kind of captures the thought. And uh, as, as you know, the, what's seen on the top is only a small portion of the iceberg. Uh, but that's normally what we focus in on, what people see, uh, what people hear from us, our behavior. That's normally what is, is seen, is the stuff that's on top. And we always want to do our best to try to make that look the best and, uh, and do the best and be the best. But what happens with that, of course, is, is that the stuff underneath doesn't get attention. And whatever is happening on top, it's because of what's going on underneath. It's underneath where our thoughts are, 
where our emotions are, the way we think about things, our mental condition, that's underneath. And that will cause things to occur and happen up on top. We spend time dealing with the upper level and not a whole lot of time dealing with the lower level. And so the first message, we kind of done a deep dive. We kind of uh, wanted to deal with the, the symptoms of unhealthy emotions, just kind of being real and honest and things that we may see in our life, reactions that we may have, and just being able to embrace that and where can I see me in this and the, the emphasis, I think, on that was with Cain when he, his offering was not regarded by the Lord and he got very angry, very upset, angry with God, upset with God. God wanted to help him and told him, just take a minute, check out where your emotions are. But he rejected that and ended up uh, murdering his brother. So we dealt with some symptoms of unhealthy emotions. Last week, we talked about becoming very real, what it means to, to be you. We, we can be tempered and shaped by things going on within us, uh, emotionally, mentally, etc., and, and begin to reflect a person that's not really who we want to be and not really who we were designed to be, but that's what we reflect. And so we talked about what it meant to become the real you. The, the real you is the best you. The one who God has made you to be is the best you whoever he has purposed you to be, whoever he has given you birth to be and created you to be, that's the best you. Not the Mimi that your daughter gives you, but the best you is the one that you are created to be. Can you say amen? That's the real, that's the real you. Now this time we're gonna go heavy. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna overcook your grits. We're gonna talk about family. We're gonna dive right on into family a little bit. And we're going to talk about how family can have an effect on us. Uh, I grew up, we, we, when we met with the team to go over the message this week, some of these family shows that I grew up with, uh, a lot of the generation that serves with us so well here on the team uh, are not even familiar with some of these shows. But, uh, but I grew up watching the Brady Bunch. I thought that was a good show with good family bland, you know, the Brady Bunch. Um, the Huxtables I thought was a good show. From, from uh, our background and culture, it certainly gave us some good, good inspiration. I, was, I always had fun watching the Jeffersons, uh, had some vision of moving on up, right? Uh, moving on up from where we were to where we could be. This one was a little bit, uh, depends at times, but I, I thought funny a lot, and that was the Bunkers, Archie Bunker and his clan. Uh, some funny moments, some little, little, little challenging, but, but some funny stuff. And, and then there was the Evans family and Good Times. How many of you remember the show Good Times? Now, um, our favorite show, V and I, we like to watch This Is Us. I think that's a good family show that really engages in some stuff. Now, here, here's the thing. We all got family moments, uh, moments that are fun, moments that are funny, um, stuff that we like to, to forget, but there's some things that whenever you talk about any particular traits out of family, there's some stuff that people will, will always bring up. Like my, my youngest son's uh, name is Malachi, and uh, when Malachi was, was little, uh, whenever we would go to a restaurant, it never failed. He always had to go to the bathroom. Now that trait he got pretty honest, but, but, uh, but he would always have to go to the bathroom. The problem is Malachi would have to go to the bathroom usually right when the food was ordered. And Malachi could stay in the bathroom 45 minutes. 
I mean, just hands down. And so, and, and no matter how many times you said, Malachi, you ready? You ready? No, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. So whoever had to take Malachi to the bathroom, they always missed their meal. So the kids had a rotation of who gonna order, knowing that they food ain't gonna be able to be ate then because somebody gonna have to take Malachi to the bathroom. I, I used to tell Virginia about this and she didn't experience it until we, was, um, we were in India, uh, had to get Malachi had to get Malachi out of the country of India for one day. That's, that's a story I'm not gonna go into, but we had to get Malachi out of India uh, for a day. So we went there, done what we had to do, got him out, went to Nepal. And sure enough, uh, we're only minutes away from boarding the plane in Nepal and Malachi's gotta go to the bathroom. Now she thinks it's nothing. I'm already panicking because I know what's gonna happen. And sure enough, we, they are called every group to board and he's still in the bathroom. So I say, you go beg them to hold up while I go try to get him out of the bathroom. That's just the way uh, it was. Some stories you just, um, you just like, you just kind of want to forget. And uh, there's, there's, I had, I was traveling somewhere uh, I know it was a foreign country and it was actually probably a couple of countries because normally I would just take one suitcase and a carry-on. This particular trip, I had two, two checked-in suitcases. So uh, again, without remembering where I was, uh, I was gone for at least a couple of weeks and so it required me to have a couple of sets of clothes and teaching material, whatever the case may be. So I got, I got sick where I was. I had finished what I was doing and um, I was gonna just stay over one more day where I was just for some ex ex exploration or some scouting to see some other ministry stuff. But, but, I was, but I wasn't feeling well and I thought I'm just gonna go to the airport and just go home. And so uh, I was gonna go, my flight had me scheduled to come through Phoenix and then get on the plane and go on to Yuma. When I got to the airport, they couldn't fix my flight to go all the way to Yuma. So I just said, okay, just get me to Phoenix. I got a daughter there, Tisha was there going to school. I'll just let her know I'm coming. She'll help me get on home, no problems, no concerns. Now, one of the things which is a credit to her is I'm a day off, right? Because I'm in another land, so it's a different day for me. So I'm communicating to her that I'm coming home the next day, not thinking it's the same. I'm thinking the day I'm coming home, not thinking it's a day off for her. Long story short, I send her the message before I get on the plane. It's a 20-hour flight and say, hey, I got to go to Phoenix. Uh, don't have a ticket home. I need you to get me at the airport and, and help me figure out how to get get on to Yuma. She never responded, but I figured 20-hour flight, no problem. I'll catch it. She'll catch it. And when I get to Phoenix, it'll be fine. I get to Phoenix, no response from her. Nothing on the deal. So I text, I call, she don't answer. And, and I'm saying, listen, it's your father. <laughs> I'm in Phoenix. Uh, I know, I, I know I'm, a, I, I'm not supposed to be here, but I, I'm here and I need you. No, no response at all. Well, I knew what school she was going to. So I decided I got a cab or Uber, I'm not sure. And I, I thought, okay, I'll just load up my luggage and have her take, they'll take me to her school. I'll just go to the school. And so sure enough, I go to the school. I'm hauling in my, my luggage in the front office there and say, hey, I'm Tyrone Jones and uh, my daughter Tisha's here and I, I need to see my daughter. And the lady said, well, I'm pretty sure she's doing an exam uh, now. Uh, it don't matter. Lady, listen. <laughs> I got my stuff. Can you just call my daughter? It's, o it's okay. She'll be, she'll be fine. So they send somebody to go tell Tisha that your father's here. And she said, no, my dad wouldn't be here. He couldn't be here. There's no reason for my dad to be here. So, so the guy comes back and says, 
her father can't be here, so you must not be her father. I said, I am her father. Did you look at her? Did you look at me? I'm her father. Would you go back and tell her I am here? Here, take something to show that it's, that it's me. So sure enough, they go back and tell her. She comes down to the office steaming mad because she's in the middle of exam, had no, and she says, what are you doing here? I says, well, I tried to explain what I just explained to all of y'all, and I said, I need, to, I need to get home. This is a situation. I'm in the middle of exam. I can't do this. You didn't tell me it was coming. Yes, I did try to tell you, was, I, was, you was, I was coming, but you didn't respond. She huffs off, goes up to whatever she had to do, comes back down through the office. I'm standing there with my stuff thinking, okay, here she comes. She's on her way walking right past me. The lady at the desk says, now your father's right there. She turns around, he ain't my dad, and storms out. Storms out, goes right on through the front door. And I'm thinking, first of all, I'm embarrassed. I'm thinking, this lady probably think I'm a real freak, right? So, so I'm saying, come on now. So I grab my stuff. Her apartment was across the street, but this is 27th and Dunlap, so it's a major road there. I knew her apartment was across the street where she lived, but I didn't know which apartment was hers. So she storms out, and she's heading toward her apartment, walking real fast. I'm feeling sick. I'm pulling my luggage. I'm shouting down the road, Tisha, you got to help me. I'm not feeling good. I just need, I'm sorry, but I need, and she's just cutting on the cross. I get in the middle of Dunlop. My suitcase comes apart. I'm picking up my stuff. So consequently, she gets ahead of me, and I don't know where her apartment is. So I get to the parking lot of the apartments and have no idea where I'm going because of this evil daughter that the Lord has given me, this evil daughter. Would you agree, Tyrone? Evil. You would never do that to Evil daughter has given me. And so I get to the apartment uh, parking lot with my stuff, and I'm like, I don't know where to go. I have no idea where apartment is. So I just sit down there against a pole with my luggage just sitting right there in the parking lot. About 20 minutes later, she pulls up. And I'm not going to tell you what she said, because the next time she preaches, you'll think about that instead of her preaching, <laughs> preaching the Word. But by God's grace... I got on home. Stories we want to forget. And there is one that I did forget that I didn't know I had forgotten. Um, and we, it was the last time Norman was here. And somehow or another, it might have been a commercial, but Hooters came up, the restaurant Hooters. And there was things said, different things. And I said, well, I don't know. I've never been to one. And Norman said, yes, you have, Dad. I said, no, I haven't, Norman. He said, yes, you have, Dad. He said, we were in Colorado Springs at Focus on the Family for the pastor's family camp, and you decided to take the whole family to Hooters, including Malachi and Tiffany, and they were small, and you're dragging them into Hooters. I, I completely forgot about it and still want to say in Jesus' name that I don't remember it. So there's some things you just want to forget. This, this is this is what I know, though. All, all of us can be affected by family stuff. Good stories, and hopefully you do. Hopefully most of us have very, very good stories uh, for our family life, no matter if it's a nuclear family or if you're raised by a single parent or raised by your grandparents or uh, thank God for those who are adoptive parents and have adopted uh, children in, into their 
home, which reminds me there's a wonderful thing on ESPN Plus called Identity. It's about 21 minutes. If you remember to write this down, you would love watching it about this, uh, this fellow. But, but thank God for adoptive families that have taken people into their home and foster families. We celebrate you who've adopted people, uh, children. Those of you that foster children, we celebrate you bringing people into those homes. But I think all of us can say, if you're honest, no matter how good our family is, all of our families have some dysfunction. Would that, would that be safe to say? All of our families have some dysfunction. It doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be horrific. It doesn't have to be tragic. It doesn't have to be made uh, for TV. But all of our families have some uh, dysfunction. And it, it, it's across the board. We, at one time, we had a, uh, a ministry where we bought, brought people out of prison when they got paroled and we had some homes that we would put them in, men and women. Uh, and uh, the first time that I picked up someone from the prison, I won't say his name, he might still be living here in the community. Uh, hopefully he is and hopefully he's watching the service, but uh, I, picked him, I picked him up and uh, of course he's just coming out, so I wanna know a little bit more about him and, and I end up asking him what, you know, why was he in prison? And he says, well, this is what I'll tell you. Uh, when I was 11 or 12, I can't remember how old he was, on Christmas Day, I saw my father beat my mother to death on Christmas Day. That's how my life of crime started. And so it's not the same for all of us, obviously. But I think if we're honest people, we'll all say, we'll all say that we got issues. Can you be honest and look at the person next to you and say, we all got issues, right? We all got issues, right? We all got some issues. None of us got perfect parents. None of us had perfect guardians. And as good as they might have been, there's some imperfections in all of us because we're not perfect people in the Lord. And some of that stuff is played out in our life, and it can have an effect on us. I want to take you to two passages of Scripture where it talks about sin and the generational effect that that can have. The Bible gives us some indications, and it uses the term fathers because, of course, in that culture, that's the context of leadership and the nuclear family, uh, but, but you'll, get the, you'll get the gist of it. Exodus 20, verse 5, listen to this. You must not bow down to them or worship them. This is God talking about false idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Listen, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. That's a sobering passage very much sobering for us who have the responsibility to lead families and lead homes. Now, I do want you to understand this. It is not saying that the children have to pay for the sins of the parents. All of us know theologically we all are responsible for our own sins. But what the Scripture is saying is there can be sins that we do, things that we do as leaders over our children that can have an effect upon them that may affect their life entirely and even those that they bring into the world. And just a real quick one, just a real simple one that you understand. If the head of the household done something wrong, end up going to, to prison, then you got a family now who doesn't have a father or a male figure in the home. We all know the statistics of how that affects the family, how that affects the children 
children, and that can carry on for generations. It's not the sin that the man done or woman did that the, that the child has to pay for, but it's the effects of it. Y'all follow me? That comes up on him and can have effect for generations. In this particular case, he's certainly saying it's based on the rejection of God. If they don't have God in their life or they're not teaching the children God or they're not leading them in the way of the Lord. And oftentimes, we don't necessarily know as children, as growing up, no matter what age we are, what issues we have encountered because of what has happened before us. But there's an effect. Here's Deuteronomy 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed in front of Moses. This is God revealing himself. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Can you say amen for that? But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. So again, the effect of some decisions that we've made, the effect of some things that we've done, the effect of some, some in, in, uh, actions and behaviors and attitudes and thought processes of our life can affect children for generations. Now, this is a note to fathers, and, and again, I know that we're not living in a culture where it's just the nuclear family that we're dealing with, but I am going to speak to those of you uh, that are here. Fathers, it's a heavy weight, but it's a gracious and glorious responsibility to lead your family in the way of the Lord. You want the work of God not only to take place in your life, but in your children's life and in your grandchildren's life and on down and on down. You want, you want that. So there are some conditional effects on the family also. And it might be just an immediate one, like in the case with David, when he had the illicit relationship with Bathsheba. Uh, Bathsheba was married to a soldier by the name of Uriah. When David found out that Bathsheba was pregnant and he knew it was illicit, he tried to cover it up. The way he tried to cover it up was having Bathsheba's husband killed, sent him to the front line during a time of war for him to be killed. Uh, the, the prophet came to him and confronted him and let him know, listen, God knows your sin. God knows what you've done. And uh, he, he gave him some grace. He expressed some mercy, told him what God would do. But he also said this, because of the sin, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Basically, because of the sin you've done against Uriah and Bathsheba, it was going to have an effect on all of David's children. And if you read the story of David's family, there was infighting, there was sexual assault. All of that was based upon God saying, here is what's going to happen to your family because of the effect of your, of your sin. You're all right. Now, I need to, I need to tell you this, uh, because there's teaching that, that's out there and has been out there for quite a few years about this thing called generational curses. And this is the belief that God, there's curses that come upon families and can go down from generation to generation to generation. And even though I know that the sins of people can have an effect on generations and the imperfections can have uh, an effect on generations, uh, without going into the full teaching, I want you to know this. Any curse that's come up on anybody, 
I don't care if it comes from voodoo in Louisiana, if it comes from witchcraft in Mexico, if it comes from some spiritual mess in Africa, or some crazy family member, some aunt that you tell your children not to go around at family reunion. I don't care if it comes from some crazy family member. Any curse that's been brought up on anybody in any manner, that curse is broken by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That curse is broken by the cross. No believer that has any curse laid upon them is still carrying that curse. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ breaks that curse. Can you say amen? And that's there in Galatians 3.13, which might be on the screen, but Christ rescued us from the curse. But here is what is true. However we've been influenced and however we've been affected by sin and uh, the things that we've experienced from our parents, some stuff just gets hardwired into us. It just gets hardwired into our, into our DNA. You can see a couple examples of the kings when you read in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, the Chronicles. You, you see when it, when it talks about the next king, it will say something like this, 2 Kings 21, 19, and 22 about Ammon. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in the ways of his father. You'll see that so often because of the effect, because of the impact. And then by God's grace, you see some good ones like 2 Kings 22, where we see about Josiah. He was eight years old when he became king, but he did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor, David. And so stuff can get hardwired in us. Stuff can affect us. Stuff can get, become part of our DNA, and, and, and you'll find yourself either acting like, talking like, doing things like, uh, responding to things the same as, as one of your parents might have done. My youngest brother, Mikhail, when he was here last time, he kept pointing out things on how I responded to things or what I would say or even how I would do certain things. He said, that's just like what daddy did. That's how daddy did things. And uh, so there's some things that have, that gets hardwired into us. And, and we all got to ask ourselves the question, what messages did we receive from our parenting? From our parents, sorry. What messages did we receive about parenting? What messages did we receive about gender roles or about marriage? Or what message did we receive about singleness or physical affection? Or what messages did we receive from our view of church or about our views of faith or our views of money or conflict or politics. Here's what you got to know. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so there's some things that affect us, and many of us may end up becoming just like a parent that we see some things that we don't want to have as part of our life. And, uh, and so parenting can have an effect. I want to show you this. Um, this, is, this movie, it's an old movie, but the clip really says better than what I can say. But the movie clip is it's from the movie The Night at the Museum. How many of you have seen The Night at the Museum? I, I love this clip because it honestly does. Let's fire that up. It basically says what I'm trying to say. What is that? Sky. 
no. Pardon me, Larry. I speak Han. Igugu, bagayaka miku. Tomala sunda kana. Ui kono. He says that he wants to rip you apart. All right, again with the ripping. Listen, I understand. I get it. Ripping for you, you want to rip things, okay? And I think maybe that's because somebody ripped you a long time ago. In here. Somebody ripped little, little baby Attila a long time ago, right here. They ripped, they ripped something out, didn't they? They ripped love. They ripped love right out of you, didn't they? Little baby, all alone in a tent. His daddy went off to pillage some town or go and plunder somewhere, just doing his job. But who was left alone? You. It's okay. It's okay. You're next. <laughs> I love that clip. It speaks, obviously, he's trying to point out because of what his dad did and had in the an effect on them. This is what I do know. Without intervention from God and biblical discipleship, we will all live according to what's hardwired in us. We'll all live according to that. Whatever's been modeled, whatever's been taught, whatever we've always seen uh, will have a real effect on us. And and you may not see it. Uh, You may not see it right away. You may not even be able to identify it uh, except maybe over a period of years, because oftentimes it's just kind of lurking underneath. It's just lurking there underneath, and then eventually we'll have that effect. I, I want you, since you're in your Bible, turn to, to Genesis 37. It's just a few chapters back from where you were. I'm going to read a passage here uh, that I would like you just to follow along with me. And it, it talks about uh, a, a fellow named Joseph. At the time of us reading this, Joseph is 17 years old, Uh, Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham. There's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, So so Joseph's father was named Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Israel, or uh, Jacob, had uh, 12 sons. The youngest son uh, at the time of this is Joseph. And because he was from the woman that he loved, the only first child that she was able to give him, Uh, he really loved Joseph and made him a coat of many colors. Everyone knew, all of the boys knew that Joseph was his favorite. Uh, Unfortunately, his father was a little bit clueless to it. And it was, you know, maybe not totally clueless because, you know, there was some illustrations in the Bible where the father kind of saw the arrogance of his son. Even though he was young, he was 17, the attitude that he carried uh, and it happened in a couple of dreams. Joseph had a dream that all of his siblings 
would bow down to him. God gave him this dream. He knew it was from God and basically went out one day and announced to his siblings. And you can imagine a 17-year-old coming out of his tent saying, hey, I just want all y'all to know, y'all all, all going to bow down to me one of these days. God done told me, right? Y'all all, all going to bow down to me. Well, that didn't go over so well, but he had another dream, came out of his tent one day and announced that not only are all of y'all going to bow down to me, but mom and daddy going to bow down to me too. All the, so he's 17. He's a little arrogant. We use another word, uh, but uh, for the sake of not being on the football field, arrogant works. And, and so, so not, but the father didn't know how the animosity among the boys was, had affected them. So Jacob sends his son out to find the other brothers who are out there serving in the livestock, serving, serving the livestock. I want to pick it up in chapter 37, verse 12. Follow along. I'm going to read several verses, but you'll get this. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers you know are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. Joseph said, I'm ready. Then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the Hebrew Hebron Valley, and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field. In verse 15, asked him, what are you looking for? Verse 16, it says, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're passing the flocks? They've moved from here, the man said. Uh, they're down in Dothan. And Joseph said, Joseph sent out to Dothan. Verse 18, they saw him in the distance. And before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look. Here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, now Reuben is the oldest of the, of the 12. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. Verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin, Going down to Egypt, Judah, who's the third brother, Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And the brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. So Reuben is not there. He had left. Well, he comes back. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. What am I going to do? Here's, the, here's already the deceit. The other brothers knew what they had done. So they go, Reuben goes and says, hey, the boy is gone. And none of them say, we sold him. They just go on like, oh, wow, what happened? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, we found this, examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. 
All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to pay my son mourning, and his father wept for him. This is another side of the deceit. They saw their father in pain and still didn't tell their dad, he's not dead, daddy. He's not dead. We, we sold him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards. So much in there I could go into, and, and the following parts of that story is quite amazing. That takes you all the way through chapter 50. But here's, here is what, what we see. These boys had learned this kind of trickery and deceit from their very own father. Their father, Jacob, had done trickery. He had done deceit. He had lied about things, and they learned that from their dad. That became part of their thinking. Their, their, their hatred for Joseph carried into when those emotions and those patterns that they had saw, it was expressed out in what they'd done to their very own brother. Here's, here's the story for Joseph in a, in a nutshell. Joseph ends up in Egypt. In Egypt, he begins to impress the people with his wisdom and with his attitude, and eventually he gets brought up to a, a high rank, like a, uh, one who served the, the main uh, leader, the Potiphar. He was right by him, side by side, kind of like a right-hand man, like a, uh, like a helper. And, uh, and there he had responsibility over everything because he had good wisdom. He had a good attitude. Joseph never uh, uh, expressed himself from what was done about his family. In the process of that, though, a lady lies about him, who was Potiphar's wife, and said that Joseph tried to sexually assault her, which was a clear lie. But Potiphar came home, he heard the story, and he put Joseph in prison. Joseph was in prison for 14 years, and 14 years of being in prison, he kept his attitude where the Scripture says that he, even though he was oftentimes alone, he knew he wasn't alone because God was with him. Even while he was in prison, he began to still express um, interpretation of dreams. God was still giving him visions. God was still showing him things and still using him. And that got him to a place to come from the prison back into the palace. But not just in the palace worker again. He became the third ruling leader in all of Egypt because of what his attitude and his heart during the process. But it's 17 years now. Joseph has no idea whether, uh, sorry, Joseph has come to the conclusion that he'll never see his family again. And he's in a place now where God has rewarded him for his faithfulness and for his diligence, and he wanted to make a statement that I'm not going to fall into my family patterns. I'm not going to fall into the family mindset. I'm not going to let the things from the family affect me. I'm going to put that stuff away and embrace the goodness of God. And that's where the passage comes that we read earlier. Because notice again what he named his two sons. His son Manasseh, listen to this, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm not allowed. Of course, he still knew who his brothers was. He still knew his parents. He's not saying, I dismissed them as if I never had them. But he's saying, God has let me forget the pain and what my family did to me. I'm pushing that away. I'm not going to let that uh, gauge my life, guide my life, or determine the decisions I make in my life. I'm putting that away. Are y'all following me so far? Not only am I putting that away, he named his other son Ephraim. He said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. So I'm going to put away those things that could affect me from my family, and I'm going to allow myself to live in a place where I enjoy and receive the blessings and the fruitfulness of God. 
Now, I call this sermon The Family Fix, and I want you to get this. By no means am I telling you at all to disregard your parents, your family, etc. Matter of fact, the Bible is counter to that, and it tells us to honor our parents. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us to be grateful for what has uh, occurred in our life through our lineage and through our inheritance. Our history, our family history is part of our story. So the lesson is not to separate us from our family stories. It's rather to get us into a place where we don't allow the family stuff to cause us to live our life according to the family stuff instead of the stuff that God has for our life. Are y'all, did y'all catch that? And so here is, here is the issue. Again, he said, the effects of, these fam- of, of what, these, what has been done in family can be upon generations. But this is also what the Bible lets us know. You can be the one that leads the reversal. You can turn this around. You can be the one that says, nope, starting with me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Starting with my family lineage, we're going to do the right thing. Starting with these decisions that I'm making, I'm not going to let the family stuff that could have affected me in the negative, I'm not going to let that be the thing that determines how my life goes. Are y'all following me on that? And so Deuteronomy 5, 9, and 10, it talks about not bowing down to other gods. God is a jealous God, but it says, you'll bring the consequences of your father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me or reject me. But watch this, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We wanna be the ones that rise up and say, I wanna love my God. I'm gonna show my God love. I wanna keep the commandments of the Lord because I'm here to tell you that will have an effect on your children and your grandchildren and your grandchildren's children. You can be the one that leads the way of this reversal. Can you say amen? amen? Acts 2, 38 through 41, listen to this. This is after Jesus had died, he was buried and he rose again. And now Jesus was being witnessed. People knew that he had rose from the dead. They saw him and they knew he was there. The very people who were part of the crucifixion began to get convicted. If this man really was dead, and he was, and he really did raise from the dead, and he did say that all authority and power is upon him, then he must be God. And so they asked the question, since he is, we've witnessed the cross, we've heard the gospel, what do we do? These are the, those, those folks who witnessed this crying out, about 3,000 of them the scripture said. And this is what Peter says, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Meaning those of you that call upon the name of the Lord, the Spirit of God is going to come in you change you, make you a new creature. You're going to have a new identity, new behavior, new thought process. But it doesn't stop there. It says, for the promise is for you, and catch this, and your children, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So there's a promise that God places upon our life that's not just for us, but I'm going to tell you something. Tyrone P. Jones has claimed this promise a long time ago for every one of my children and every one of my grandchildren, and if I live to see them, my grandchildren's children. I believe the promises of God upon my family life when we learn to reverse those things that could have had a negative effect and embrace the way of the Lord. Can you say amen? And here's the last thing I'll tell you, is just embrace the new family you've been brought into. 
It's, it's not at all a shunning of the old family. Again, we still enjoy family. We love family. We do the things we do with family. We spend time with family. But we let ourselves be shaped and cultured by the family of God. The things we hear from the Word of God, the teachings that we hear, the work of the Spirit of God, that becomes the manner in which we think and the manner in which we do things. Jesus said it like this, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look at the, look, these are my mother, my brothers. Catch this, anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. No matter what your family life and background was like, I'm going to tell you, you got a new family. It doesn't mean you got to do anything negative toward the family you got, but just know, just because you had to make some decisions with the, with the biological family, it doesn't mean you still don't have a family. You have the family of God. So much so, this is how much, this is what the scripture says. See how much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that's who we are. We are the children of God. Again, no matter what family life was like, no matter what parents were like, you got a father. You got a good father. You got an amazing father. You got a perfect father. And just like the impact and the effect of the imperfect parents can have an effect on our life, guess what? The perfection of the heavenly father that we have also has an impact upon our life and we can walk in the traits that is given to us by our Father. Can you say amen? All right, my time is up. Can you stand? Prayer team, come. Hopefully you got something out of that. Your grits weren't overcooked too bad. Dump a little sugar on them and you, you're good to go. But prayer teams is going to be here. I'm, not, I'm only going to pray one prayer. We're going to go into a song that I pray will bless you. I hope there's something that was said that you're going to grab a hold of. But the altar will be open. Whatever your prayer needs are, if you made a commitment, maybe you did doing communion, you can come let them know. You can also stop at the connect table for any of your prayer needs. You can indicate that if you made a commitment to Christ, you can do that at the connect table. And if you want to follow up with any of the ministry opportunities we have, you can do that at the connect tables on going out there. If you're not involved in a small group every week, the small groups are going to go through what we're teaching here from the pulpit and they're going to work that a little bit more. Uh, and so you have a chance to, to walk through some things for some health sake and for some healing. So if you're not engaged in a small group, you can do that at the connect table. But my biggest prayer for you today is going to be you identifying with who God has called you to be. Let the work of the Spirit of God that was, has been brought into your life be the thing that guides you in all that you do. And if you haven't made that commitment to Jesus and allowing Him to be the Lord of your life, and embracing that good, good Father, then you can make that commitment to Jesus. Father, I want to thank you that you have helped us, Lord God, to declare the word of the Lord. And I pray in a manner that it's understood, that it's received, that it's embraced. And, and everyone who hears it, whether in the house or, or wherever that might, they may be on, online, that they have heard this message and they can apply, apply it to their life and identify with some things that they want to do better with and align themselves up with you. And Lord, I do pray not for just us who are listening, but for the generation, Lord God, who's not listening or who may not be in the house. And for the generation below them. Simply put, Lord God, I pray for every one of us and for our children and our children's children. Let the embrace of you have an effect in three and four generations. 
We want to walk in your blessings. We want to walk in your goodness. We want to walk in fruitfulness. And so, Lord, help us to do just that. We trust you to be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. God bless you. We're going to go into a song here, and then they're going to dismiss you. Again, altars are open. Feel free to come and receive ministry.